Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part one of the Gospel of John, chapter two. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi, everybody. Welcome to tonight's lecture, John chapter two. Just to review and catch us up to speed, we talked about identity theft last week. Satan, the liar and the father of all lies, stole our identity. There was mass confusion to the point of we don't know who we are anymore. So who are you? This is a main theme in John's gospel. Note to self, you are a beloved son or daughter of God. You are a child of God. John knows that. He says in his third epistle, see what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us, it did not know him. So a big theme in John's gospel is knowing, to be known and to know Not knowing who we are and not knowing who Jesus was was a big theme in John 1. Now we're to the next day, day two. And John wants us all to be day counters. Okay, this is really important. So it's the second day. The next day, day two, John, this is the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb! Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world! Now it's an unusual title to call a man a lamb. So where in the Bible, John is so certain of this, where in the Bible did we first hear about a specific lamb? And we have to go way back to Genesis chapter 22. Yahweh will provide. God said he would provide a lamb. And he told that to Father Abraham. And it was on the third day. And the third day is really important. Don't forget it. You're going to hear it again tonight. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place far off. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood, but, but where's the lamb? Where's the lamb that's going to be the burnt offering? And you feel the tension in the story rising because, oh my gosh, you know what Abraham's been asked to do. Abraham said, Isaac, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. But Abraham, after a lifetime of not trusting God fully and making many mistakes along the way, now Abraham is going to trust God's word. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to do what he says. 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 And it's on the third day. Now, what's the third day in scripture? You know, it's the day of resurrection power. And we learned that last year in Hebrews. Wait, 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 wait says the angel of God, now that I know that you trust my word, now that I know, Abram, that you trust what I say, implicitly, Hebrews told us last year that Abram considered the fact that God is able even to raise someone from the dead. Abraham knew nothing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ yet, but figuratively speaking, he knew God is asking him to do this. Maybe God can raise my son. Maybe God will give him back to me. Wait, you trusted my word. Wait, wait. And God has a ram caught in the thicket to use instead of Isaac. But it's a ram. It's not a lamb. It's a ram. They 
can use that. But God will still provide a lamb, just not yet. So when John says, behold the lamb, they've all been waiting for this lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now there's also a big lamb theme when we studied Moses in Torah, the Passover lamb of God. And Pharaoh did not know Moses is God. And he got 10 chances, a fullness of chances to get to know him. But he gets harder and harder and harder of heart. And this is the 10th plague, the fullness of knowing. The plague is the death of the firstborn. The Jews, the Hebrew people were to take a lamb, a male lamb without blemish, don't break any of its bones, slaughter the lamb at twilight at the 3 p.m. hour, put blood on the two doorposts and the lintel of the door with a hyssop branch, and none of this lamb can remain until morning. And if you trust my word, if you do that, the Lord will pass over the door of the house and not allow the destroyer to enter and kill your firstborn. None of you shall go outside the door of your house until morning, for the Lord will pass over and he'll strike down the Egyptians. But if you have blood on your doorpost, the blood of the lamb, you will be spared. And observe this as a perpetual ordinance for you and your children forever. Perpetual. Now, Jesus Christ was the final Passover lamb of God. He is male without blemish. He has absolutely no sin. He was slaughtered at the twilight hour, 3 p.m. There is blood on the two doorposts and the lintel of a new door, the cross, a new gateway back to the Father, back to heaven. Don't break any of his bones. John tells us they didn't. When they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead. They did not break his legs. None of the lamb could remain until morning, and they hurried and got him off the cross because Shabbat was coming at twilight. So Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb, and John the Baptist knows it. Another great prophet, Isaiah, told about the Messiah, the suffering servant that would come, and he would be oppressed, he would be afflicted, yet he would not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. So when Jesus is accused by Pilate, and Pilate says, have you no answer? Speak! Have you no answer? How many charges they brought against you? But Jesus made no further reply. He was silent, and Pilate was amazed like a sheep to the slaughter, so silently still. A lamb that was led to slaughter in silence. This must be the Lamb of God. Peter knew it. You know that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, planned before the foundation of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, says John. John the Baptist pointing at the Lamb of God. At Catholic Mass, when the priest is breaking the bread, it's the body of the lamb being broken for us. And we say three times with higher and higher emphasis, three times, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, Lamb of God, Lamb of God. And the priest holds up the lamb and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sin of the world. It's a lamb whose blood covers the sins of the world for all time, for all people. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His blood was spilled for all men of all time, for all women. And the priest says, blessed are those who are called to the supper of lamb. 
The supper of the Lamb is the Catholic Mass. It's a perpetual ordinance for you and your children forever. And it's not just any old supper. John told us in Revelation, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. And we're the bride. So tonight we study the marriage supper at Cana. So it's the wedding banquet of the Lamb of God and his bride, the Catholic Church. Now John the Baptist is figuring this out, who this Jesus is. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. I was born six months before him, but he ranks ahead of me. He was before me. And he's starting to see the divinity of Jesus Christ because he says this twice with emphasis. And he says, I myself did not know him, but for this I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. That was the whole purpose of his mission. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend as a dove from heaven and it remained on him. That was the sign. The father told John, when you baptize someone, you see the spirit of God come down like a dove and remain on that person. That's the one. That's the one you've been born for to announce. You're the forerunner to the Messiah. So even before his birth, John the Baptist was full of the Holy Spirit. So he'd be able to recognize this. Zachariah couldn't tell his wife Elizabeth. He was muted. But, but, but our baby, our, the son you're going to have is full of the Holy Spirit from conception on. I, John the Baptist, myself did not know him. He says it again. I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now this is John's moment of knowing. Saw the Spirit descend and it remained on him. John had been using a baptism of repentance. And wherever there is repentance, the Holy Spirit is present because he's the convictor of our hearts when we sin. And when we need to be moved to repentance, he's the one that moves us. He knows the Holy Spirit's present, but the Spirit didn't stay or indwell anyone that John was baptizing until Jesus. So John was using a different baptism with all the other people. And Paul goes to Ephesus in Acts 19, and he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? And they said, well, no, we didn't know. We never heard. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. What's this about? And he said, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, oh, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That's Jesus. I got to redo you guys. You got to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the entire Trinity. So God has given John a sign. The stuff comes down and stays on Jesus. And John knows. John knows. And he says, I've seen and I bear witness that this is the Son of God. And he, before that, he said, I, I did not know him. What do you mean you didn't know him? Your cousins. You frolicked together when you were little boys. I didn't know him. But Mary and Elizabeth were kinswomen. And when you went to festivals and feet, you played together. What do you mean you didn't know him? I didn't know him. I did not know him. Yes, you did. John, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. He did not know him. He knew him, but he did not know him. He did not know he was the Messiah. My cousin Jesus of Nazareth is Messiah, the anointed one of God. He's the Messiah. He figures it out here. Now he knows the truest identity of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. His cousin is the anointed one, the son of God, the Messiah. They both had supernatural births. The Holy Spirit stayed on Jesus Christ. And John knows it. It's my cousin and he's God. 
The synoptics all say that the clouds, the heavens ripped open. There was a theophany. God the Father, the voice of God, the Son standing there, and the Holy Spirit, the dove. And God says, this is my beloved Son, of whom I am well pleased. Now John knows the true identity of Jesus Christ. He is the beloved Son of the Father, the firstborn of many newly created sons and daughters. So when John sees him the first time, he's look, the Lamb of God. Look, look. And on the next day, day three, we're day counters. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And he watched Jesus walk by and he exclaimed again, look, look, here's the Lamb of God. The one I've been telling you about, the one I said is going to come. Remember, God said he would provide a lamb. The two disciples heard him say this and they immediately dropped everything. They followed Jesus. They dropped John like a hot potato. Because <laughs> John had done his job really, 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 really well. He prepared them for Messiah. There he is. They vamos. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you seeking? What are you seeking? And I ask you guys the same question. What are you seeking? And you all say in unison, we're seeking Yes! <laughs> and when we're seeking truth, we're seeking Jesus. Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? They want to know. They want to stay on with him. They want to they know, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. It's a beautiful invitation. Come and see. Come and see where I'm staying. Come and see. Wouldn't you be intrigued to go? And they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained that day. And it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, which means the twilight, 3 o'clock, sacrifice was over. It was time to share a meal. It was time to sit down. It was time to abide together in fellowship. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his brother Simon, and he said to him, We found the Messiah. Simon, we found the Messiah, which is translated the anointed one. And he brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. Son of John. Matthew says Jonah. You are Simon, son of John. He hadn't been introduced. Immediately Jesus knows him. Jesus knows him. It must have kind of freaked Peter out. And immediately, he says, you are going to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. His name was Simon. I know you, and you got a new name, Cephas, which means in Aramaic, rock. He knows him. You are rock. And later he'll tell him. Immediately, he's giving him a brand new identity. Immediately. He knows him. He sees him. He loves him. And he renames him. And he calls him rock. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, on you, Peter, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And two millennium later, the gates of Hades have not prevailed. God's word is true. The next day, day four, it's the fourth day. Now the next day, day four, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and he said to him, Philip, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip goes and finds Nathanael and he brings him. We found him. We found the one Moses and the law and the prophets wrote about. 
we found him. Now, what's he talking about? Well, Moses in Deuteronomy 18, if you remember, had told them, he had predicted, the Lord your God's going to raise up a prophet like me, a new Moses, from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen. We found him, the one Moses told us about. We found him, we found him. He's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> and Philip said to him, come and see. Now, what is going on here? Well, is it diss on Nazareth? I don't know, because Nathanael knew the prophet Micah. And Micah said that Messiah has to come out of Bethlehem. You, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the littlest clans of Judah, but from you shall spring forth one who's going to rule Israel. From the, his origin, he's old, from the ancient of days. So Nathaniel knows Micah's prophecy, and he believed that the great good that they're all looking for can't come out of Nazareth. It has to come out of Bethlehem, like Micah said. Nazareth, the Greek form of the Hebrew netzer, means a shoot or a sprout or a branch. Hmm. Because Isaiah said that a shoot's going to come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch is going to grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord's going to rest on him, and he'll have a spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and fear of the Lord. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. There's no guile in this one. This is a true Israelite. And Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? How do you know me? Jesus knows Peter. Jesus knows Nathaniel. How? How do you know me? Jesus was revealing the inner thoughts of Nathaniel's heart. How can he do that? Because Jesus could read hearts. And it's just what Simeon predicted he would do to marry his mother when he said, this child is destined to be the falling and the rising of many in Israel. He's going to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. He can do that. He can reveal our inner thoughts. And that's what he did to Nathaniel. He read his heart. You're a true Israelite. There's no deceit. There's no guile in you. How do you know me? Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, said Jesus, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Oh, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Just for that? Really? That's hard for me to believe. There's got to be more there. So what's going on? In the Jewish lectionary, at this time of the year, near Passover, it's a continuous cycle of one to three years, just like our lectionary. And near Passover, they would have been reading from the prophet Zechariah. And Zechariah 3 says this. So he's sitting under this fig tree, probably reading Zechariah, Nathaniel is. Listen, Yeshua, high priest, you and your colleagues who sit before you, for they are an omen of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant the branch. Now, Nazareth means branch town. And here comes the branch from Nazareth, Jesus Christ from branch town. For on the stone that I've set before Yeshua, a single stone with seven facets, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts. All through the scriptures, he's called a stone. He's also called a stone, a cornerstone. Paul knows that. Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. Peter says he's a cornerstone chosen and precious. Zechariah goes on to say, I will remove the guilt of this land in a single day. Yeah, on Good Friday. 
I will remove the guilt of this land in a single day, and Messiah, Yeshua, is standing right in front of him. On that day, says the Lord of hosts, you shall invite each other to come sit under your vine and under your fig tree. Nathaniel was most likely sitting under a fig tree reading the prophet Zechariah. It's what they would have been reading in the Hebrew lectionary this time of the year when the branch, Jesus, Yeshua from Nazareth, branch town, the final high priest, Yeshua, Jesus, the final high priest sees him and knows him and reads his heart. And for those of you who love to dig into the scripture deeper, read again Zechariah 4 and 5 because there's no numbers back then. And he's going to talk about these two olive trees that are witnesses, not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of the living God. And they're going to be seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. And John wrote in Revelation 5 about the lamb with the seven horns and the seven eyes. And it was a lamb standing as though he had been slain. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. Back to Zechariah, these two branches are like olive trees. They're anointed. They're going to stand by the Lord of the whole earth. They're going to be my final two witnesses with power to prophesy for three and a half years. Remember that? And then they're going to be killed because the people are going to hate them, these two prophets. And then in three and a half days, a breath of life is going to come from God and they're going to be raised from the dead. And we know that Matthew tells us that the earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs were open, and many bodies of the saints that had fallen asleep were raised right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they appeared to many. So that could very well be the harrowing of Hades, where John the Baptist is pulled out, and Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so these final two witnesses the new Elijah and the new Moses, John and Jesus. and Jesus. So all this could be going through his mind. If he was sitting under the fig tree, which is a shady, thick leaf, a great place to sit and study scripture. So Jesus said to Nathaniel, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under a fig tree? Oh, you're going to see greater things than these. Very truly, I tell you, you're going to see heaven opened and angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He predicts for Nathaniel, you will witness the ascension, my ascension back to the Father when my mission is complete. Now, the wedding at Cana, it is on the third day. We just talked about that with Abraham. Third day is a big, powerful day, a resurrection day, a new creation day. There was a marriage at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus was also invited to the marriage with his disciples. It's the third day. But we were counting John's days, and four days had already passed. So after four days, now it's the third day. So four days plus three days is seven days. So it's on the third day, and it's also the seventh day. Oh, right? Where else in the Bible do we count days? Yes, creation, way back to in the beginning, which is how John started his gospel, hailed right back to Genesis. There was a lot of day counting going on in Genesis. First day it was good, second day it was good, third day it was good, fourth day it was good, fifth day it was good. Sixth day, God created the beasts, the wild beasts, and it was good. But also on the sixth day, God created humankind in his own image, male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said, it is very good, very good. So also, after the six days of creating, on the seventh day, God finished his work and God rested. That is complete 
covenant perfection. All the work of creating was gone. God blessed the day, hallowed the day, and God rested. This is that full communion with God. Total rest in the Trinity. That's rest. That's eternal rest. When we're back into that beatific vision with the Trinity and that perfection of rest, that's day seven. On day seven, it's a new creation. It's a new rest in God. Now, if you were going to be a Bible number, would you rather be a six or a seven? And those of you who have studied long enough with me know, would you rather be a six or a seven? I want to be a seven. Good, good. God created beasts on day six, but we're made for day seven. We're made for that total Sabbath rest with God, that full communion with the Trinity. That's where we know rest on day seven. That's what we lost in the Garden of Eden when we got banished. We can't rest until we fully get back to that. Because that's what we were created for, to share in his divinity, to be divine partake, to be partakers in his divine life, the divine life of the Trinity. And until we have that, nothing's going to satisfy. Nothing. St. Augustine knew this. He said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, until we get back to that. Now, when the wine failed, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. They have no wine. This is a Jewish wedding. Do you know how long a Jewish wedding lasts? Seven days. Seven days, no wine. Could you imagine having a Catholic wedding with an open bar for seven days? <laughs> I hope you got a big checking account. So in a Jewish wedding, the couple stands under a hoopah because they are a new creation. And it has four poles, north, south, east, west. They are a brand new creation. And they are a new Adam and Eve, and they're creating a new household, a new family. And they all the people go around them seven times for each day of creation. And they have seven blessings that they say over the couple. And there's much symbolism. They are a new creation. Now, Noah got a chance at a new creation. God destroyed the earth and let Noah try again. But an early thing that Noah did in his new creation, it was a new garden, and he planted a vineyard, and then he drank too much wine. And then you know what happened. King Melchizedek of Salem, this is the eternal priesthood that Jesus is part of, immediately in Genesis 14, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. The psalmist tells us, praise the Lord, you who bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the human heart. Feasts are made for laughter. Wine gladdens life. So you don't want to run out of wine at a wedding. And Mary noticed, she was the first to notice that the wine is running out and the embarrassment to this couple. Mary knows our needs before we do. That's why when you pray the rosary and you're praying for your kids, you might not know their needs. She does. They might live in another state. You might not even quite know what's going on in their life right now. Mary knows. That was part one of the Gospel of John, chapter two, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.